Hello, and welcome to The Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me from the beach, David Dixon. David, how's it going? Kelly, I'm doing fantastic. Enjoying life down here at the beach for a few more days, soaking up the sun, having some, to- having some fun in the pool, and you know, a lot of downtime means a lot of time to read a lot of the articles coming out about both college and pro football. Yeah, we've got college football on the slate this Saturday, Miami and Florida. But today we're going to focus on the NFL. And you and I, we've each compiled a handful of stone cold lead pipe locks. And we're going to share those with the audience. So these are what we are viewing as locks. Some some might call these bold predictions, but we think that these are, are locks and on December 28th or whenever the regular season is over, we'll, we'll be able to come back and see if, uh, if we were right at all. So, Kelly, start us off. All right, I think we each have a Giants homer pick, and I'll go first with mine. Saquon Barkley leads the NFL in yards from scrimmage. Now, this might not be very bold to some, but I'm going out and guaranteeing that Saquon does this so who would be his uh competition because because he is very very talented but but who would be his competition because off the top of my head would be Kamara and McCaffrey right I think Kamara and McCaffrey are the no doubters Ezekiel Elliott is in that conversation if he comes back healthy and in shape and ready to go and all reports indicate that you know he's in he's down in the low 220s I'm sure it was Ezekiel Elliott's agent who was feeding Adam Schefter that information but (laughs) according to Schefter Zeke is ready to go so I mean we'll see if he's in camp and and is able to play week one and I think honestly a total wild card this year is Le'Veon Bell I'm I'm not sure how he's going to perform in the Jets system but he has the pedigree from from his time in Pittsburgh I wouldn't be surprised if he came out and had 15 1600 yards from scrimmage that's a that's a bold take about Bell Uh, we'll see I'm I'm interested to see how how Gase used him but but going back to what you said about Zeke, Zeke is in Cabo working out. So for those who don't know, he's holding out. He's trying to get a new deal, and he's spending his time away from the team in, in Cabo, Mexico. Have you ever heard of Cabo as like the place where people go to really get in great shape? It's not usually a, a workout haven or a workout spot. It's it's a vacation resort place, and it's it's hard to believe Zeke is really getting ready for the season in Cabo, but if that's what he's doing, that that's what he's doing. He, he definitely looks good in those crop tops, but there are plenty of elite running backs in the league, but Saquon is my pick. I just think he's the most talented back in the NFL. He, I mean, he looks like a power back, but he, he moves so gracefully and just the way he changes direction is, is almost unfair. Yeah. And you know, you and I, we weren't really around to see Barry Sanders but of the highlights that I've seen of him and just how people talk about Saquon it almost seems like he's he's Barry Sanders 2.0 and you know the Giants offensive line is drastically improved it was one of the worst units in the NFL really for like the past four or five years and you know they were laughably bad at some points with Eric Flowers and you know, I think if you actually looked around the league and, and took some inventory of offensive line units, I think they probably have a top 12 offensive line, which is a considerable improvement. And if their improvement is from, you know, terrible to good or even average, I think that 
you know, that'll go a long ways. And I mean, lastly, like they just have a lack of weapons, right? Odell is gone. Sterling Shepard is hurt. Golden Tate just got popped for four games. Evan Ingram is seemingly always hurt. You know, they might play a rookie quarterback. Some advice to, to fantasy listeners out there. If you have the number one pick, you should take Saquon Barkley and sleep well at night. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. And I think what you're saying about the lack of other weapons in that offense, you mentioned Sterling Shepard's been hurt the whole training camp. Corey Coleman tore his ACL. Golden Tate suspended for the first four games. Obviously, Beckham got traded. It seems like they're going to have to rely on Barkley a, a lot throughout the whole season, but especially those those first four weeks. And you mentioned a rookie quarterback, and, and that's my first bold take, which is I think Daniel Jones, the guy Baker Mayfield apparently, allegedly, maybe misquotedly believed or couldn't believe was picked at number six. I think Daniel Jones starts at least one game for the Giants this year. I think that Eli, as much as I love him, two-time Super Bowl MVP, you can never take those away from him. I just think that he's he's a little too old. He's on the back nine. I think he's I think he's walking up the the 18th fairway. He's getting to the 18th green. And I think that it'll be time to especially if the team isn't in playoff contention towards the end of the season, I think they'll let Jones take the last two or three weeks. He's looked great this preseason and I'm excited to see what he can do when the lights are when the lights are on. I'm on the same page with you here. I think Daniel Jones is going to start. And actually, I think I think it might even be earlier than what you're saying. So I'm, I'm looking at the Giants' schedule right now. They go week six at New England. That's a Thursday night game. So you figure through the first six weeks of the season, I mean, the Giants are expected to be decent. Maybe they're two and four at that point, three and three. Short week on the road at New England. They're certainly the underdogs in that, and I wouldn't be surprised if that gets ugly. I think that might be one of Eli's final games, and then Daniel Jones would come back on the long week ready to prepare, and they would play Arizona. So I think if you're going to find a spot for Daniel Jones to kind of integrate into the Giants' offense and not get a full season under his belt because it seems like the Giants want to pay Eli Eli his respects, I think that would be the perfect point for them to do so. For sure, and, and usually when you talk about teams who do make quarterback changes, it's as you said, it's when there's an extended week for an extended week of prep or after the bye week, they'll make some type of change. So we'll see what the Giants try to do. I don't think we're really going to see what Gettleman said of Jones sitting for two or three more years because that means Eli's going to be playing when he's 40 or 41 years old and he's not good enough at 38, You know, um, unless he goes in, in the Brady way of seemingly getting better as he ages, which he hasn't been able to do. I don't know what his pliability uh, workout plan is the way <laughs> the way Brady's is, but um, we'll see. I mean, Eli's been the starter for 16 seasons. It's It's been a long time, you know, 15 years now, I think, or 15 or 16. So we just got to get ready for, for the next guy. And Jones has played great this preseason. All the reports out of camp is that he's doing really well. Seems like a very good leader, very good guy. Seems very Eli-esque in, in a lot of ways. He looks very similar to, to Eli when he's out on the field. <laughs> if, if you just took a picture of the two of them and took out their numbers, I, I think a lot of people have a hard time differentiating between the two. Yeah, their, their mannerisms are eerily similar. But 
So, David, you mentioned Baker Mayfield. I want to hit on one of his teammates. I think Miles. I think Miles Garrett is going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. The weighted box jumps really got to you, huh? Oh, they did. Super impressive. He wasn't quite working out with butcher knives as Aaron Donald was last <laughs> offseason, but the weighted box jumps were very impressive. I think Aaron Donald will probably be worthy of the award, but there's going to be kind of that, you know, LeBron fatigue where he's gotten it the past couple of years and voters are going to kind of want to go in a different direction. So I, I envision a scenario in which Aaron Donald is yet again the best defensive player in football. But the award goes elsewhere, and you know my money would be on Miles Garrett. the The Browns' offense is getting a lot of the pub, and it will be good. But I, th- I have, I have some concerns about their offensive line. We saw the Giants, you know, have very talented skill players the past couple of years, and, and their line was hot garbage, and therefore they had a couple of rough seasons. I don't think the Browns will be bad. Uh, but I think I think we should really pump the brakes with, you know, this Super Bowl talk that I've been hearing, you know, but with that said, they still have Joe Hayden. Denzel Ward was a surprise pick at four, but he's kind of shown that he can be, you know, that corner that the defense can kind of revolve around. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, actually. Denzel Ward, there, there was a Revis Island, right? What if we, you know, called it Denzel's Ward? I don't hate it. You know, Ward is in like a room in a hospital that's like, given to a you know a patient with an infected disease you kind of go on Denzel's ward I kind of like that I don't hate it for Miles Garrett you know they added Olivier Vernon he's not going to be able to I mean he's still probably going to be double teamed but the extent of those double teams uh will be will be mitigated and he had 20 and a half sacks his first two seasons combined I could see him getting close to that number this season see the 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 one question I have for you is obviously Garrett is a is a great talent, but how much do you think that team wins matter a lot for a defensive player of the year? Because because that's the one concern I have as well with the Browns is that they're getting hyped up as a Super Bowl team, but if but let's say that they go nine and seven this year, is that good enough for Garrett to get defensive player of the year? When let's say the Rams go thirteen and three and Donald's the star, I think wins are less important for defensive player of the year than they are for MVP. Okay. I still think they're important and maybe they're the factor that pushes one guy past another, but I I think, you know, a, a guy on a team that's 7 and 9 or 8 and 8 could still potentially win defensive player of the year whereas a guy who's 7 or 9 and 8 and 8, I don't really think he can win MVP. Interesting. And and it is interesting when when you hear about and the the MVP talk is everyone kind of criticizes the MVP and, and even the Heisman Trophy, how it just become like a quarterback award. The Defensive Player of the Year award has turned into like the pass rush of the year award, it feels like, between J.J. Watt winning a bunch of times and then Aaron Donald, and you're talking about Miles Garrett. When was the last time a non like pass rusher won Defensive Player of the Year? I, I, did Ed Reed ever win it? I don't know. I'm not, I, that's a good question because I agree with you. It's been the guys in the J.J. Watt molds and, you know, I don't know if Von Miller's ever won one, but if Miles Garrett didn't win it this year, Von Miller might be a pick. But it's it's definitely guys in that prototype. And I don't know if it's because cornerbacks that are very talented, they don't usually have the ball thrown their way. So maybe therefore, you know, they just don't have the stats and it's not necessarily 
because they're not producing the stats but because quarterbacks are actually avoiding them yeah so we got so it's interesting so i just looked it up so we go aaron donald Calias campbell khalil mack watt won it twice robert quinn baby he got one jj watt so so the last one if you don't want to count clay matthews as a pass rusher because he was 2010 was charles woodson in 2009 so almost 10 years now of, wow. of just pass rushers winning that award and i think that's really interesting to to keep an eye on going forward because maybe maybe we think it's going to be miles garrett but maybe it's a team who surprises year and goes 12 and 4 the way that that jacksonville team did in 2017 and it's the best pass rusher on on that team who has 18 sacks or something like that yeah and khalil you said khalil mack won it a couple years ago he easily could have won it last year as well he had a phenomenal season for sure and if the bears are really good again this year, you could see khalil mack getting a lot of uh a lot of acclaim again and maybe people wondering what is john gruden really knowing what he's doing but that's a podcast for another day so my second prediction i want to keep it in 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 the division and i want to talk about the baltimore ravens and lamar jackson uh i'm not a jackson guy don't have a lot of faith in him that the chargers playoff game last year really just i think showed a lot of his weaknesses of just throwing the football uh my hot take or bold prediction is that lamar jackson will not start more than 12 games this year he will start 12 he will start less than 12 games this year due to injury and poor performance i think he'll 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 miss a lot of games interesting so you think he's gonna both be injury prone and he's not gonna play well while he's on the field i just think that there's a whole season almost a whole season of tape out on him a lot of time for those defensive coordinators around the league to digest it and put together game plans to a stop him from really running he's a dynamic runner but i think there's ways to limit that and he he hasn't been able to, to prove that he can really throw the ball and i think i was talking to my dad about this i'll give my dad the credit i think he was saying that it, it's brilliant because harbaugh kind of has been on the like the the hot seat the last couple of years everyone's like oh maybe john harbaugh has times to go and he always got kind of an out because Flacco was so weak. Well, now he's starting Lamar Jackson going all in on Jackson. He could always say, "Hey, if you know when if this Jackson thing doesn't go well, well, I didn't have a guy who could complete a pass. I still don't have a quarterback." And so maybe this is John Harbaugh trying to keep his job, or not keep his job, but like extend his run in Baltimore if he if he's able to prove that he doesn't have a great quarterback. David, you know Warren Sharp, right? Of course. I was reading, for, for those who don't know, he's probably one of the most respected people in football NFL analytics. And so Warren Sharp is super, super high on Lamar Jackson. Really? And I just pulled this up. And this is, this is what he is quoted as saying. Warren Sharp, many people take his word as gospel. I'm quoting Warren Sharp now. I just think... He's, referring to Lamar Jackson, severely underestimated with what people saw last season. What people don't realize is that out of the 11 rookie quarterbacks in the NFL who started when they were 21 years old or less, Lamar Jackson had the highest passer rating in NFL history. So I agree that Lamar Jackson doesn't necessarily pass the eye test as a passer, but I think his dynamic ability as a runner and his ability to 
just make plays with his feet and I mean honestly he doesn't need to pass for 4,000 yards because I think he's going to run for close to 1,500 so he's going to be a threat that we haven't probably seen from the quarterback position since like Michael Vick and I agree with you that his durability is certainly a concern especially with kind of the careless nature that he runs with the football but I'm not necessarily down on him in terms of his performance but I've said it before your best ability in the NFL and in all sports is your availability and I think his availability is something to be concerned about yeah we've never been able to really see a run first type quarterback who's been able to sustain his health throughout the whole season consistently. Cam Newton's the only one that comes to mind of someone who runs a lot, who's able to, who's surprisingly been able to stay really healthy. And through Cam's whole career, the, the biggest knock on him is that he still runs too much. He's, he's playing all 16 games, and I was like, well, he still runs too much. And so... And you could say Cam is probably throw first and Jackson is run first. So we just have never really seen this, a type of guy who is as dynamic as he is running and runs a lot, been able to stay healthy for the whole 16-game season. And an interesting storyline also is along with Lamar Jackson is just, you know, Kyler Murray in Arizona and how are these mobile athletic quarterbacks who were running circles around guys in college Years ago, these guys had really no NFL future, and now teams are not only drafting them, but using first round, and in Kyler's case, first overall picks on them. And if these guys boom or bust, they could have ripple effects in the NFL for years to come. For sure. And it'll be interesting to see, because Harbaugh is such a good coach that you want to believe him. It's like, well, he picked him, so he's got to be right about him. But But there's just parts about it that... You know, maybe for those games that he's in, they go nine and one. But if you're going to miss five games, okay. But you win nine games with them, uh, I would be surprised by that. But you know, as, as you said, I think the biggest issue is just lack of accuracy passing and his his seemingly injury proneness. All right, David. My next bold prediction: Mike Evans leads the league in receiving yards. So when I first looked at these odds. Mike Evans was listed at 19 to 1. Since then, I just pulled them up. They're down to 14 to 1. And I expect those to drop even further as I make my case. So last season, this man finished third in the entire NFL with over 1,500 receiving yards. And his quarterbacks were Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston. Not great. Not great. He still, he still has Jameis, which, you know, unfortunately for the Bucks, but fortunately for Mike Evans, Jameis loves to throw the ball into tight, contested windows, and Mike Evans loves going up and making contested catches, and he's pretty darn good at it. It's his specialty. It has been since he was at Texas A&M playing with Johnny Manziel, who the XFL should sign, by the way, but, you know, Jameis is going to throw the ball to Mike Evans early, late, throughout, and with great frequency. And Bruce Arians is now the coach. He's an offensive mastermind. He's had success at a few stops across the league. He was the OC with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. Had some success with Andrew Luck in the early days in Indianapolis. Revived Carson Palmer's career in Arizona. You know, we talk about Julio, we talk about AB, we talk about Nuke Hopkins, Odell Beckham. 
I feel like Mike Evans is kind of that forgotten guy. Well, he's obviously forgotten because of the, the quarterback he's had and just the lack of success that the Buccaneers have had. And you mentioned the thing about James, how James loves throwing the ball into tight windows. Do you think that it's sometimes better for these elite, elite wide receivers to have a, a gunslinger type quarterback who isn't that good, isn't that accurate, but still just like loves to chuck the ball down the field and just like believes in themselves so much that they think they can make every throw? Like Mike Evans gets so many targets, but he's not open on all, a lot of his targets. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it, it gives them the opportunity to make the spectacular catch. And if they come down with it, they look like the hero. And if they're unable to come down with it, all the criticism is spewed at Jameis saying, what a terrible throw, what an awful decision, and rightfully so. But I think, yeah, it certainly benefits benefits wide receivers to have quarterbacks who are willing to take chances just because rather than throwing the ball away or dumping it down, they're, they're giving them an opportunity to make a play. And you're totally right about Bruce Arians as well. That dude knows how to run an offense in the NFL. When, and you were rightfully calling him. You call him an offensive mastermind. He is not Cliff Kingsbury, where we think he's going to be a a guru, where he was a he was an average Big Twelve coach who's now this offensive guru. No, he hasn't proven anything yet. Bruce Arians has proved it in the NFL. He has proven to be able to put together elite offenses. Shots fired at Cliff. Yeah, Cliff is Cliff's got a lot of work to do. The we first the first thing he's got to figure out is the whole clap to to start, but we'll get into that later. But Arians has proven it in the NFL. He knows how to put together a successful offense and a successful team, and he's proven to be able to do it with a lot of different quarterbacks, including highly talented, but really you could argue underperforming compared to their talent quarterback in Carson Palmer. And maybe that will be it for Jameis. I don't personally believe it. I think they're going to have to change quarterbacks eventually to maximize Arian's potential, but you could see Winston having a decent year this year or above average year with, with Bruce Arians, which will then lead to Evans having a really good year. Yeah, and they have some other good targets too. I mean, Chris Godwin's really good. I really like OJ Howard as tight end. So just yeah. the Buccaneers outlook as a whole, I think they play in a terribly tough division. I know we spoke about which division was the toughest and we kind of came to the conclusion that it was the NFC North. There's a compelling case to be made for the NFC South. The the Panthers, the Falcons were decimated by injuries last year, but I think they have a really, really impressive roster. And then obviously the Saints. And then, you know, the Bucks are there as well. And they're definitely the bottom feeders in that division. But to their advantage is that they do play in a division with two domes. They have good weather in, in Tampa Bay. And the weather in Carolina is solid. It's not the best, but it's solid. And so there, so it's not like the NFC North where you're going to have to go play Green Bay in the first week of December or Chicago or these outdoor arenas where it becomes very, very difficult to, to throw the ball. So my next bold prediction is that Patrick Mahomes, reigning NFL MVP, will go back to back. He's going to win MVP again. But the Chiefs will miss the Super Bowl. Wow. I don't know yet who's going to come out of the AFC, but I just don't think that it's going to be the Chiefs. I just They just have some guys who I think are too valuable to them, like Tyreek Hill, that you never know about the off-the-field stuff. 
their defense has been inconsistent the last couple of years. Are, are they really going to be able to, to show up when it really matters? You always got to worry about Andy Reid in, in the biggest games. But Mahomes is a baller, and he's so insanely talented, and the weapons he still has, and Reid is such a good coach. I don't take the big games out of it, but just in like the regular season, I think Mahomes obviously will probably have a drop down from last year. But it's it's it is a drop down when you go from fifty to forty seven touchdowns, Kelly. And I think he's still gonna throw a lot of touchdowns. The season he put up last year, unfortunately, the only way he can really go is down because he put up one of the best seasons in the hist- in the history of the NFL. The Chiefs are certainly among the favorites, and you mentioned Andy Reid. The dude's been around the block for what seems like forever. I would love for him to get a Super Bowl ring. But I, I think I, I agree with you. I think the Chiefs have all of the punch in the world on offense and Patrick Mahomes and that offense, even without Kareem Hunt and, you know, Tyreek Hill, take him or leave him. That defense kind of concerns me. And, and they made a move for Frank Clark this offseason because they, they felt like they needed to solidify that pass rush. But you can score, you know, 45 points. But if you're giving up 51 points to the Rams on Monday Night Football, you're not going to win a lot of games. Yeah, and, and it was and, and the Patriots proved it when, when the when the Patriots needed points, Brady was able to take the ball down the field and methodically drive him down the field. And I think that's the also the next stage in the development for Mahomes is that he showed a great he he had an unbelievable drive in that Patriots game I just mentioned, AFC championship, driving down the field to, to be able to kick the field goal to send it into overtime. And the drive before that to score the touchdown. But I think that that the next stage is he's such a big play guy right right now. I think as he improves, he's always going to have the big play. But I think just his command of a drive will get a lot better too. It's already good, but I think it's going to get closer to that elite level of he'll be able to just sustain drives throughout the whole season and become like one of the best truly truly like the best quarterback in the nfl because i think right now he's probably in the in the top six but i think after this year he will be number one he, he can only improve like his numbers will go down but the game will become easier to him and I, I to me it's just crazy that he's already talked about amongst the league's elites and you know he's he's 22 23 years old and you know hasn't even played in two dozen nfl games yet no, and and the thing is, it's, it's it's as you said. This is how good he was playing basically one season, and as he watches more film, everything just becomes more familiar. The game slows down even more, and as he gets better and works on fine tuning the last aspects of his game, yes, his numbers may go down a little bit, but you know, Tom Brady doesn't have to throw fifty touchdowns every year to still be considered the goat. So Pat Mahomes doesn't need to throw more than 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns every season and still be thought of as the best quarterback. He could average 42 touchdowns and 4,600 yards, but be so good at everything else that he'll be the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he's the obvious heir apparent to Brady. All right, I'm setting the over-under right now on career Super Bowls for Patrick Mahomes at two and a half. Which way are you leaning? Two and a half? I'll probably take the over because he's, I mean, he's the best quarterback. I, I know three Super Bowls is a lot of Super Bowls, but he's so young. He's so talented. He does have a really good coach right now. And with Brady going out, they eventually, I mean, he's Brady 
can't play forever. Like there'll be a, at a certain point in Patrick Mahomes career sooner rather than later where he will be in the NFL and Tom Brady will not like that's just a fact. I agree, but he's also competing in the same era as Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson. And yes, Patrick Mahomes is far superior in talent to them, but three Super Bowls is a lot. I would love it if the Chiefs won the Super Bowl this year and Pat Mahomes won won the MVP. And but I just I just think that it's not gonna be this year. I think it's gonna be the year after this year. I think it's like he builds up to it. You gotta have some heartbreak before you reach the before you reach the uh the mountaintop. Yeah, just ask Michael Jordan. Yep. All right, Dave. This is by far my boldest prediction, but I believe it in my core. The Tennessee Titans will make the playoffs, and their starting quarterback will be Ryan Tannehill. So you're saying that Tannehill will replace Mariota? I, I loved Marcus Mariota in college. I did. I loved his size. I loved his speed, his athleticism, the accuracy. I thought he was a total package. And he just he really hasn't translated into the NFL. He's constantly getting hurt. He's always missing games. And, you know, it sounds terrible, but quite frankly, I expect him to get hurt again this season. His, his starting left tackle is out the first four games of the year. Taylor Lewan tested positive for something and then posted a heartfelt apology on Twitter, as most seem to do. But I expect Mariota to go down. And when he does, I expect... Tannehill to step up and prove that he's just better than Marcus Mariota like when Tannehill was surrounded by decent talent in Miami don't get me wrong I'm not a Ryan Tannehill apologist but he was respectable over a two-year period he threw for more than 4,000 yards and had a two-to-one touchdown interception ratio so you know I think in the right situation under the right circumstances Ryan Tannehill with that roster could be pretty dangerous. But is Tennessee that talented to bring out the best in Ryan Tannehill? Let's go through the roster real quick. Okay. Running backs. We got Derrick Henry. Uh-huh. Deion Lewis. Okay. I like Lewis a lot. Yeah. Corey Davis has been an underachieving wide receiver so far. I'll give you that. But I think he's very talented. Taewon Taylor, like, all right. That's an underwhelming receiving core. But Delaney Walker is one of the more underrated tight ends in the NFL. Very true. They have a decent offensive line, even with the loss of Taylor Lewan. And when he comes back, and if he's playing like the Taylor Lewan pre whatever he was on, good luck with that. And then defensively, Jarrell Casey, he's a poor man's Aaron Donald. Like he's he's a very very solid nose tackle, and he's you know made Pro Bowls, made All Pro team, so he's nothing to sneeze at. And they signed Cameron Wake. That's a pro's pro, Dave. He's getting old, yeah, but, but like, he's very so, productive. So, dude, and then the secondary, the secondary is absolutely loaded. Logan Ryan, Kenny Vaccaro, Malcolm Butler, Kenny Byard might be the, you know, he's the highest paid safety in football. He might be one of the better defensive secondary players in the NFL. So I think, I think the Titans roster is kind of overlooked just because people are so sour on Marcus Mariota. So they're definitely in the right division because, as you said, their defense is really good. Uh, they're definitely in the right division because Jacksonville, you never really know about them. Indianapolis, Andrew Luck is missing the whole preseason. So there's always something going on with him. Like if Luck is playing, you're like, all right, you can pencil them in to make the playoffs. But if Luck is not the same guy or misses some games, it's already proven. In- Indianapolis is a completely different team. And 
the Houston will probably make the playoffs. So there's definitely room for, for Tennessee. My concern, as you're saying, about Tannehill and really scoring enough points is also do with Mike Vrabel. Is Vrabel the type of coach who can kind of let these, like, bring out the best in his quarterbacks? It seems like he's more of a defensive guy, obviously, because he was a linebacker. But it seems like he wants his guys to be game managers right now. And, and if Tannehill can be a great game manager and a better game manager than Mariota, they could probably make the playoffs. And I think you'll be right. But I, I just don't see it at that quarterback position for them right now. I, I think they'll be very talented and on the verge. I think they'll be in a lot of games. But I think it's the old question of they can – stay in games with their quarterback and be great playing with the lead, but they won't be able to come from behind because they won't trust their quarterbacks enough to go out and win the game. Their quarterbacks will be trying not to lose the game. I agree with that. They're going to have to play a certain brand of football because they cannot afford to fall behind, you know, two or three touchdowns like Kansas city could do and, you know, recover. But just in terms of off season acquisitions that flew under the radar, Ryan Tannehill to the Titans that's a terrific insurance policy for the Titans at quarterback. And, you know, like I said, I expect Tennessee to make the playoffs and I expect Ryan Tannehill to take the throne from Marcus Mariota, possibly due to injury, because we know Marcus Mariota is going to get hurt. But even if Mariota doesn't get hurt, I just think Ryan Tannehill is the better player. And, you know, that will come to show over the course of the season. And, Things will stagnate with that offense as they have done over the first four or five years of Marcus Mariota's career. They will give the guy with some, you know, reps and some solid experience under his belt an opportunity. I think Ryan Tannehill makes the most of that opportunity. You may definitely be right that Tannehill's a better player, so maybe it won't even matter if Mario gets hurt or not, and they just play the play the better player. But so my next prediction has nothing to do with the the on-the-field game itself. It has to do with ESPN and its Monday Night Football broadcast team. I think that at the end of the season, they're going to reshuffle it again. It seems like every year it's a a lock that ESPN tries something new with their Monday Night Football, whether it's a new person in the booth, whether it's Jason Witten or the Boogermobile for uh, Booger McFarland that turned out to not be that great as he would obviously block the view of the people who paid thousands of dollars for those very close seats. Uh, I think they're going to try to change it up. I don't know how the season's going to go. They obviously lost Jason Witten. I think Booger's going to be in the booth, right? Uh, and I, they, they're they just going to try something else next year. Well, maybe it'll be Peyton Manning. Maybe it'll be Ray Lewis. Maybe it'll be Eli. You know who knows, but I I think that eventually because they're because they're definitely trying to compete with the NBC crew of Collinsworth and Al Michaels and the Jim Nance uh, Tony Romo crew. I do think that they're a little. Where, where do you rank them with with the Joe Buck Troy Troy Aikman duo? Are they solidly in fourth or or do they have a case for third? I had always had Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth at the top. And then Tony Romo came into the fold, and he leapfrogged them. And now I got Jim Nance and Tony Romo sitting on the top, followed by Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. I think Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are fine. I enjoy Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis. But you mentioned some interesting names with ESPN. How cool would it be if pick anyone for play-by-play, but if they got 
Eli and Peyton in the booth, and then all of a sudden you're watching Monday Night Football with the Manning brothers and, I mean, heck, Sean McDonough or bring back Mike Tirico, that'd be a ton of fun. That would be a ton of fun. Tirico would be impossible because he works at NBC, but I totally get, get what you're saying. And, and I do think that if they added a quarterback like Peyton or, or Eli, it would show that what Romo does is, is really unique to NFL quarterbacks, but not as incredible as we think it is in terms of seeing the, the play and being able to predict it. Because Peyton Manning could definitely predict it at the same rate as Tony Romo, right? I mean, Peyton Manning watched so much film and is a better player than Romo. He probably could do the, the same thing. Eli, I'm not so sure. I, like when, to, when, when Tony Romo predicts plays, I actually really, really enjoy that. Some people get irritated and are like, I just want to watch the game and enjoy it. I think him predicting what's going to happen before it even happens is almost more impressive than whatever takes place on the field. Yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're all, when, when we're watching the game, we're like, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, they're going to throw it to this guy, or they're going to run the ball. Like, what would you do on third and two? But Romo just says, this is what I would do, but here's what they're lined up in. Here's what they're doing. In, in the AFC Chamber game, he goes like, watch Edelman. He's got Edelman for, for Brady. He's going to throw to Edelman coming over the middle, and guess what he did? Edelman over the middle. And... That stuff is really cool. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can shoot us an email. Our email account is doubledouble402 or you can tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is dbl underscore dbl podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and make it a great day.